1: If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
0: All right, folks. So where I left off was talking about our donations and our sponsorships, and we really appreciate all of those. Uh, Our single biggest source of contributions does come from individual listener donations. So you can make a one-time payment, uh, you can make a recurring donation, however you want to do that. You can do that at tvlr.fm donate. We also have a Patreon if you prefer to donate that way. And uh, we'll take a check, good old-fashioned check, mailed to our P.O. Box right here in Huntsville. So whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we appreciate your support and we can't do it without you. We put out all of this content for free because we are dedicated to growing the southern labor movement if you share this mission please support however you can so we can have media by for and of the working class and as i mentioned this is a very first uh, featured episode for labor notes Uh, and again apologies for the technical difficulties this morning we had some uh, settings gone haywire here on the board but uh, hopefully everything is resolved now and and you guys can hear me just fine and we'll have this uh, cleared up for the podcast so this is the first episode uh, where we're really featuring labor notes Uh, each month we're gonna do a featured labor notes episode and try to talk to an author of their stewards corner uh, which is a great great resource that they put out Uh, at the valley labor report we're big fans of labor notes Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement since 1979. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exists as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters, and we encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. So today, uh, we're going to talk about an article, What to Expect When You're Expecting to Win by Jason Ide. Uh, Jason is a Teamster. Uh, he is actually out uh, in Hollywood. He is a former president of Teamster's Local 814 uh, he's now the contract coordinator at Teamsters Local 399, which represents workers in the motion picture industry. I really enjoyed talking with Jason. I thought it was a great conversation. Um, I did have a bit of an echo uh, going on during the interview. I don't know uh, if we were having some issues audio-wise, so hopefully today's interview will, will be okay. Uh, today seems to be a day of technical difficulties, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, But last week, you know, we talked with uh, Amy Wilson from Revolutions Per Minute and also from uh, a Trader Joe's union campaign that was unsuccessful. And so we had a conversation um, and Jacob joined me in that conversation. We talked about what we do when we lose and how we can learn from losing battles. Uh, This week is, you know, the, the opposite. What happens when you actually win? Um, what happens if you run for union office and you're elected? So that's going to be the the featured conversation today uh, with this good brother Jason, um, and I really hope y'all enjoy it. All right, folks, you are still listening to the Valley Labor Report. This is Shop Talk, our series dedicated to labor education, history, and training. And today's special Labor Notes episode, uh, we have a great conversation planned, and we are discussing a very great article that came out recently. Uh, In April, we had What to Expect When You're Expecting to Win, and the author is here today to talk a little bit about it. Uh, But before I let him introduce himself, I wanted to just read the, the opening of this article because I think it sets the tone. You've done it. Your team of rank and file members has run for union office and won. In a few short weeks or months, you will leave the truck, classroom or hospital floor behind and join the staff of your local union. You've made promises to the members and you don't want to let them down. So opens Jason's article with labor notes. Jason, thanks so much for joining the Valley Labor Report. Uh, Would you mind introducing yourself? Where you're from, what you do for work, and a little bit about your journey in the labor movement.
1: Sure, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I started out. Well, right now I work for Teamsters Local 399 in Los Angeles. I've worked there for a little over a year now. We represent drivers in the motion picture industry and uh, location managers, casting directors, and a bunch of other entertainment. Um, functions within this business. And as you've heard, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in Hollywood. So it's a, it's a great place to be right now. Um, I didn't start out in Hollywood, though. I, I moved to New York City when I was 23, because I heard it was a great place to get a job and build a career. Mm-hmm. And it was a little harder than I thought it would be. But I got hired at Sotheby's Auction House, uh, 23 years old, working in a warehouse, moving around, uh, you know, art and antiques. Basically, the place is the Macy's for the ultra rich. And uh, it was a good education and what it meant to be a union guy. Uh, There were we I had a foreman who taught me everything I knew. Um, But one thing we did know is that the union didn't have our back. So they left us hung us out to dry uh, when we were locked out by the company. And there was a lot of anger and resentment throughout the local um, at the union leadership who were sort of leftovers from the Bonanno crime family that had been driven out in the 80s. So I got together with a group of rank and filers that were members of Teamsters for a Democratic Union. We ran for office and we won. And uh, I'll just tell you that the, the the guy we beat, George Daniello, took me and the number two guy out for a drink after we beat him. We sat down in a bar in Brooklyn and he was already three martinis in at the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's like, what are you having? I was like, I don't think I'm going to have anything. He's like, Get him in a martini. He's gonna need it. (laughs) (laughs) That's when he broke the bad news to me that the local was broke. Our finances in the medical fund and the pension fund had completely fallen apart. And in his own words, there were desert drives across the local. In his own words, we only had three months left to live. So we lived a lot longer than three months. The local's still here today. I uh, I moved to California, but uh, the business agent used to work for me, Walter Taylor, is a, an amazing guy. He runs it now. And we managed to write the ship. So um, I've been involved in a lot of union transitions ever since, trying to help new officers. And uh, I like to think that some of the tips and tricks that we've used to survive over the years will be valuable to some other folks.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that background there. Uh, and I think it's very relevant when we get into the conversation about these tips and tricks for leadership particularly new leadership so at the beginning of your article you start your your kind of list of advice so to speak uh by mentioning take a beat what what do you mean by that you know it's interesting
1: this article came out of a workshop i do at teamsters for a democratic union which has an annual conference and i've also do something similar at labor notes um, where we have officers who, a lot of whom have already won their elections because in the Teamsters Union, our elections are usually in the fall. They attend the Labor Notes Conference or the, you know, the TDU conference in this case. And they can see that that the leadership is right on the horizon, but they have trouble imagining what it's going to be like. What, what they are already getting is swamped with members reaching out to them who are desperate, right? They have real problems. Maybe they've mm. been fired. Maybe the company won't process their worker's comp claim. Maybe they're in the in going through the disciplinary process right now. Maybe they're thinking about retirement. Whatever issue they have, they it's probably not getting resolved by the lame duck leadership. So it's all coming onto your desk, and you know a lot of these folks in the case of the Teamsters Union are still driving a package car, right? So it's hard to find the time to sit back and make a strategic plan. And really, that's the function of this workshop, right? And the function of this article. I'm not going to be able to teach you how to be a business agent or a principal officer or an organizer in a thousand words or in a two-hour workshop, right? But what I do try to do is get people to think about what skill set they're going to need in their new role and then develop a plan and commit resources to that plan to getting those skills.
0: Right, right. And and I really liked how you kind of start there with take some time to assess the situation Take some time to make a plan, an actual plan, write it down, uh, because you're so right. Like you mentioned in the article, uh, folks will come out of the woodwork. You know, as soon as there's an idea of new leadership, a breath of fresh air, uh, folks that you haven't ever heard from are going to come find you. Uh, Folks who maybe have never even called the union before may start calling, And so I think that's really important to not get ahead of yourself, to take the time to plan, to assess. Um, Like you said, getting back to people is important, but you can't get swamped in it. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, The next advice you offered is to get help, specifically get professional help. Talk to us about that.
1: There's just no way that even the most rigorous training can prepare you for the nuances of every difficult situation that a new union officer or rep faces. There is novelty, right? And for example, when I took office, one of the first things that happened is the landlord for the union hall came upstairs and dropped a $250,000 lawsuit in my lap. And I was running a small local $250,000 was a lot of money, right? Um, (laughs) There's so many unexpected things that happen, and having somebody around who's experienced to help you apply what you've learned and walk you through a lot of those situations is invaluable, right? Particularly if you're in charge of a local that has a lot of contracts. <laughs> there are some locals that look in the Teamsters Union. It's like they've got Ups and one little printing shop and 2 contracts. That's the whole story, right? or an LAUSD local where you're just part of this big system. right? There's some locals, we have 150 contracts, and there's just no way to get up to speed about all of that all at once, right? So if you can hire somebody who's responsible for coming in, who has a lot of experience, for coming in and bargaining all those little contracts or getting up to speed or who knows, especially if you're a general local and you've know you got a little construction, a little beverage delivery, a little UPS, having a generalist come in with some experience to help you put a plan in place is really, really valuable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also like that you emphasize having a mentor. Uh, even if even if you're in a small local, perhaps where, you know, maybe hiring someone full time is is not on the radar, uh, you absolutely can and should have mentors, folks that you can trust, folks that you can uh, bounce ideas off of, folks who've been there, who've seen it, who've done it. Uh, who know some of the pitfalls you're going to run into. I think that's that's so valuable uh, and it's certainly been valuable for me throughout my activism and organizing. Uh, without those colleagues that I could call, um, I, I know it would it would have been so much tougher. So I think that's huge. And you mentioned earlier labor notes training, TDU training. You suggest attending training classes, right? I mean, I know that seems like a basic concept, but maybe not
1: my core conviction about being a union rapper in the teamsters union we call it a business agent um is that you really need to be on the like you you need to be closer to a lawyer's level of how you approach grievance handling and and discipline uh those skills are going to serve you for as long as you're in this business right you might as well learn them now because if you don't learn them now actually you should learn it even as an activist right you should mm-hmm. get real books why settle for a little google summary of a topic when you could buy the real law book and actually dig into the material and have that next level of depth right it feels good when you're in a meeting like with a labor relations person who thinks they're very smart and went to some fancy school if you can actually cite case law to them when you're talking about something or you can cite arbitration decisions that are actually relevant to your local like these are things that are going to give you an edge right all of that begins with coming up with the time and money to go to class. Personally, I went to the George Meaning School, which was the AFL-CIO school, and took a lot of their trainings, and I think they were the best. Unfortunately, it's been shut down, So, but there are a lot of other good alternatives out there, like the Rocky Mountain Labor School or local community colleges or Labor Notes or Teamsters for Democratic Union. You have to use, get all the resources you can get and then use those to buy honestly, I think you should buy used law books and actually really get into the details of the matter. So that way you can really be prepared and be confident when you give members an answer.
0: Right, right. And you you even had some other books that you suggest as well. Um, I know Robert Schwartz and his book, Just Cause. Uh, and there were a couple of other books you mentioned in your article as well, some of which I had not heard of and and I found pretty interesting.
1: I mean, honestly, if you only take one thing away from the article, it should be to buy the Charles Lofgren book, Bargaining the Union Contract. I, it, it's on ABE Books. I looked at it this morning. There's there's copies up there for like 25 bucks. It's a $650 book. It's written for management, but it, it it details every single part of the collective bargaining process. And if you're going to be at the table as a negotiator or even involved as a committee member, you should read the whole book cover to cover.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the resources you provided. Um, and one of them is going to kind of segue into our next topic. You mentioned uh, getting things done by David Allen. That's not one I had on my radar. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> David Allen's kind of a weirdo, but like the system is good. Uh, a staffer at TDU taught it to me right before I took office. And it works for me. You, you create to-do list, which a lot of people do, but you really make sure that there's a few rules about things you put on a to-do list, right? You don't put anything on a to-do list unless you can actually do it. Like cross it off, <laughs> right? Like organize Amazon is not, should not be anybody's to-do list, right? Like that's a complicated thing, right? You, you want things like call so-and-so, right? Like very simple achievable things. Also, you don't put anything on your list that takes more than that takes less than two minutes to do because if it takes less than two minutes you should just do it and not you know write email this person back right i use the system also i like that he talks about keeping lists of projects and like a list of things that you can't work on now but work on some later date and then his general thinking is that if you exteriorize everything right if you've got lists out there and calendars out there you don't have to sit up late at night Thinking, what did I not do today? Because it's all somewhere, right? If you get it off your plate and into a written format, then you don't have to go so nuts. And let me tell you, when you're running a local or if you're a business agent, you're going to be so swamped that the the chance to offload anything is going to help you and help you stay married if you're married, honestly. You need to reduce levels and be organized or it's going to come up and get you.
0: Yeah, I found that really powerful and it really resonated with me. Uh, I was telling you before we went on the air that I got hired at 25 years old as a field staffer with the National Education Association affiliate down here, representing, you know, about 1500 employees of Huntsville City Schools. I had been a classroom teacher. I went immediately from the classroom. I mean, I didn't even have, you know, a full week in between gigs. And I was living bell to bell. I knew exactly where I would be from eight to three, uh, 52 minutes at a time. And I knew exactly when I could not go to the bathroom, which was most of the day. You know, (laughs) I I knew where I would be at lunch. Uh, So that was such a difference when I transitioned into the field staff role. Uh, As you said, people came out of the woodwork and folks were calling me left and right. Uh, and the schedule was so different. I didn't necessarily know where I would be from eight to three every day. And I certainly didn't know where I would be from 52 minutes at a time. And so that is, that was such a huge adjustment. And I think it's an adjustment that so many folks have to make when you leave the rank and file and go into, you know, a full-time officer position or a, a staffer position and so I really appreciated that you you spoke to that. And, you know, if you have anything else to speak to in terms of the time management or just that transition from rank and file to, to more of a white collar role.
1: I mean, look, whether or not you like it is not the issue, but you've got to take an interest in the software that gets used in an office these days and Mm. that pay dividends. Like in the article, I talk about like, Having the right tools to do the job in a machine shop or as a mechanic, like at Sotheby's, we always ordered the best tools like that's one thing we never were short on right our foreman made sure if we're going to use a saw we had the best one right. You got a new job now, (laughs) and you better get used to it. (laughs) And part of that is learning to use things like Google Drive, learning to use iCal to plan your whole day out. You know, every Sunday I sit down there with my list of tasks and my calendar for the week and I, and I make a plan of attack for the week. If you skip these steps, actually, you know, what's crazy is you may even have the best intentions to, to go through your calendar, to like stay on top of your email, to do all the things I'm telling you to do, but you will just like get so swamped. You won't do it because it's just, there's, will be one fire after another, after another, right? I got to the point where I had to calendar time on my calendar to look at the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> if like, if you are, are that busy, you literally need to schedule time to be in the office. I used to do that, right? Like three hours on Monday, I'm not taking any meetings between eight and 11, because that's my, you know, get organized for the week time, right? Sunday night between seven and seven 30, I'm not returning any calls, because that's the time I'm gonna make. So you cause if you give that time away, if you give your organize your, your self-organization time away to meetings, that's when you really get adrift in sea, out at sea, right? That's the point where things you start to lose control and things start to unwind. So I I just made a rule. I'm I'm never gonna give that time away. I will never have a week where I don't have any time in the office at all. Um and I really tried to avoid scheduling two bargaining sessions on the same day. But did I do it sometimes? Yeah, I did it. But you should not do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really from one hotel to another for bargaining. Don't don't do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say, like you know, it, it just resonates deeply with me because going from fire to fire to fire, you can't predict who's going to get fired. Uh, from one morning to the next. You can't predict when your members are going to get arrested on the job. Uh, You know, and these things happen and emergencies happen. And sometimes you do have to drop everything and go put out that fire. But you can get overwhelmed so easily without this kind of structure that you're discussing. And that's not something that they necessarily teach you in uh, advocacy school. Uh, and being a strong advocate and being a militant organizer and even being a radical who really believes in the movement is not enough and, and that's just not enough sometimes
1: I agree 100% I mean look there's one kind of like thing that underlines lies this article and actually if you if you go back to 2012 Jane Slaughter in Labor Notes wrote another article about the rank and file to officer transition where she says it even more bluntly which is that most reform officers do not win a second term i don't know if mm. that's still true but in 2012 it was definitely true and <laughs> in her article she interviews a lot of people who had recently lost or um had lost and were back in now i get interviewed in that same article so i actually make it out of my first term so spoiler alert um but a lot of people don't make it right and I think this skills skills building and skills training and having a strategic plan is is part of that, right? I think there's a, there are some folks out there I think on who would say that the stuff that I'm listing is kind of more like technical or technocratic solutions to the problem of union administration, and it's sort of I mean there's a critique that 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 kind of puts things like organizing and militancy in the backseat, right? And that really talking about this kind of stuff like how you use google drive how you organize your time how you hold a staff meeting is all is all sort of like just emphasizing the trees when we should be thinking about the forest right i i obviously disagree pretty strongly because i think you'll never get around to organizing hell you'll never get around to politics you'll never get out of the weeds of just returning phone calls if you don't have a plan right? A plan to train yourself and then to use yourself as a resource and use the union's resource to train staff and train stewards, right? You won't be able to build up this infrastructure to to lead the movement forward if you don't know anything yourself. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's an interesting debate. I I like having it with people. I haven't gotten that feedback from this article, but these are just conversations I've had with people over the years. But I strongly think without these technical skills, everything else that comes with union militancy is not possible
0: yeah yeah I, and you you talked about a strategic plan what exactly do you mean by a strategic plan if someone's listening they're like what what does that even entail
1: you know what's interesting it it, it it's an outgrowth of what you were talking about before about uh going from An organization where you where the company or the school district organizes your time to going to working for the union, where now the union needs to sort of give you priorities and help you organize your time, right? If you're the principal officer, your job, or you're like the head of staff or the chief of staff, your job is going to be to also help other people organize their time. So the only way to do that is to articulate priorities, right? And those priorities may change and shift, but It's really important for the organization as a whole to sit down or certainly the leadership of the organization and decide what are we going to get done this year, right? How are we going to get it done? If you're new, some of that should be how are we going to train staff, hire staff, train up shop stewards, things like this, right? Training is definitely a big part of that. But you've got other goals too, right? Maybe you've got big contracts coming up. Maybe you have uh, some bad shop stewards that need to be replaced with good ones maybe you have some big pending grievances or lawsuits but whatever it is you should make a timeline for the whole year we do this at, th- at local three nine nine in Hollywood we do it in December with Lindsay our Lindsay Doherty our principal officer she lays out everything w- that we're gonna planning on doing for the years and then helps articulate to the business agents look this is your top priority for this these few months this is what you need to be focusing on and this these are the results we expect and then she holds people accountable so that's that's the system. And I think without those priorities, people struggle. They struggle to, to to make decisions about what to prioritize. And actually, the real truth of it is, without articulated priorities and people holding them accountable, most business agents just do whatever they find fun, right? If they like to go to the shop, they'll just go to the shop, right? If they like to go out to lunch with members, they'll just go out to lunch with members, they'll just gravitate to whatever is like the, the path of least resistance. But sometimes, that's not what the organization needs them to do. So, but you have to tell them, otherwise they're just, they don't know,
0: right? Right, right. And and part of what you're talking about here is is managing, managing other folks, which also may not have been in your previous job description, right? Uh, coming out of the rank and file, you're not a manager by, de- you know, like by definition, you're not a manager. And going into this new role for the union though, you may suddenly have to supervise people. You certainly are managing people on you know, a certain organizational level. Uh, and so that's something you also spoke to in your article as well.
1: Yeah, I got to say there's this like tendency in labor to feel like management is like a dirty word or something that needs to be done really differently at a union. And sure, we don't want to treat people like garbage the way like UPS or Amazon does. Um but you got to hold people accountable and you got to hire the right people and then you've got to give them a chance to succeed. And honestly, I'm just going to say it, a lot of this stuff is taught in in manage in like business schools, right? And there are a lot of books written on this. Like there's some books, there's some subjects that I think are important for union folks where there's very little written on it cuz not that many people are publishing books on like, you know, 20, you know, 21st century practices and how to win grievous and arbitration in the education system. Like, you're going to have to really look for that book, right? How to hold Mm -hmm. people accountable in the workplace and articulate clear goals to them. There's like thousands of books on that. So really, it's a place where new union officers often fall down, right? And don't do a good job. But man, it's sure not for lack of resources. It's all out there. You just have to like accept that you're going to be managing people and go out and do it and no things that are branded as like special union, like administration management techniques. I don't know, man. I've never found those to be any different, um,
0: or any better than what I learned at Cornell. That's interesting. And, you know, that's not where my mind would have immediately gone in terms of, Hey, you're a new union officer. Let's go pick up a couple of business books. Uh, But it makes all the sense in the world. It really does. And frankly, I know in my own experience, had I had more of that knowledge, maybe had I had your article (laughs) when I started, uh, I would have been better prepared and, you know, would have diversified some of my training and and education uh, because I was always trying to learn and always trying to train myself and, and seek out professional development. But frankly some of that that you're discussing, the management of people, the management of your time was not super high on my priority. And, um, you know, I think that's a mistake many of us make, especially, you know, folks who are on the more militant or radical side of things who suddenly finds themselves holding this important position.
1: The two, two of the most militant, radical people I've ever met have recently gone and gotten finance degrees. Why? So that they can better understand their opponent, so they can run corporate campaigns that actually hurt them. Like just being militant shouldn't mean that we need to be ignorant. <laughs> we should understand our opponents, how they think. We should use their, Proskauer Rose, like one of the most evil law firms. <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble for saying that, but it's true, right? They do the NFL lockout, the NHL lockout. They're not nice guys. They On their website, they have all this free legal advice for employers about unions. All of it's really good. <laughs> you should read all of it. Like if you don't understand how they think and you're just operating on conviction and morals, then I don't know how far you're going to get.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's an important lesson that I think uh, a lot of folks have to learn the hard way. Uh, but hopefully through resources such as the ones you're providing and, and uh, you know, work such as what you're doing, uh, we can maybe – prevent some folks from learning the hard way and maybe some folks can can pick up a little bit of what you're putting down here um and you close the article by saying take control you know what what do you mean by that in terms of just taking control uh and having you know a, an overall assessment of the situation
1: i mean think about where we're situated in our like modern capitalist society right like we're situated in between the worker and a workplace that doesn't care about, right? And this is one of the most important relationship in anyone's life—the relationship between them and what allows them to get a paycheck, right, and put food on the table. This is like one of the like what job you have dictates a lot of what your life is like in this country, right? And there's a lot of really dysfunctional things about it. I love this country. I've lived in other countries. I'm back here, right? This is the best place to be, but. There's some dysfunctional things about it, right? The healthcare system, pretty dysfunctional. The retirement system, pretty dysfunctional. Labor law, the worst, right? So we're situated in this contact point between the worker and the boss. And that means like every single thing that goes wrong in these people's lives is going to eventually end up on your desk. Somebody has a drinking problem or a drug problem or is in debt or has a gambling problem or, you know, psychological problem, whatever it is. Like you as the union rep, it ends up on you to sort of do something about it when it starts to impact the employee's life at work, right? That can be very overwhelming. And it's even more overwhelming if you're getting these desperate phone calls where people are saying, please help me. And you have no idea what to do, right? Somebody calls and says, I just got caught with Adderall in my locker. Am I going to lose my job? Is my family not going to have food on the table next week? Like, you can't be guessing. In that situation, right? So, the truth is, you have to tell some people you're gonna call them back, sit down just for a few hours, even, and put a plan together about how you and your team are gonna get skilled up to deal with this stuff, because it's not that easy, but it's worth doing. This is meaningful work. You can, because you're at this important juncture, this important meeting between the worker and the boss, you have enormous power to affect people's lives to the better. You can get them different healthcare, different raises. You can save people's jobs, right? But you can only do all that stuff if you got the skills, right? So that's why I, I you know, look, it might be controversial, but that's why I put skills first and skills training first.
0: Well, I I love what you're saying there and frankly I wish I had uh had your phone number about 7 years ago and, <laughs> and I could have called you when I was uh stepping into that role uh because I think what you said just really really resonates with me and I'm sure uh will resonate with other folks who are newly into leadership and staff positions. Uh Jason, did you have any other, you know, parting words for union activists and allies or you know, really, anything else that you think you wanted to share today?
1: You know it this is hard work, and you you see a lot of setbacks in the in the news for labor. But let me tell you, there's never been a better time in my lifetime to be involved in the in the u s. labor movement. You can see reformers like General President Sean O'Brien and the Teamsters Union or yeah, international Vice President Lindsey Doherty. You know, these are folks who are pushing the envelope at UPS and in the studio system that, you know, in my world, trying to really push the workers agenda beyond anything that's been comprehensible before that you see there's new leadership in the United Auto Workers, and just a general rising militancy amongst workers across this country, and a change in consciousness, and I think if I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted here but it, this might be hard and it might be tough, but there's never been a better time to be involved than now, at least not in my lifetime.
0: Well, I think that's a fantastic way to close things. Jason, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all your work with the Teamsters brothers and sisters. And thank you for this wonderful article uh, on labornotes.org. Jason, thanks again.
1: Thank you. And thanks for having
0: me. All right, folks. I hope y'all enjoyed that conversation with Jason. I uh, really did. And uh, frankly, I thought it was something that I needed to hear when I was 25. Uh, And, you know, I really meant that. I I wish I could have, you know, had that conversation many years ago uh, as a young organizer first starting out. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot to take from that conversation. Uh, There's a lot to learn from that. So, yeah, I hope folks enjoyed that. Um. Really, really enjoyed his article, so if you haven't checked out the article, uh, please do so. It's called What to Expect When You're Expecting to Win, uh, and that was published back on April 5th. Uh, that was the Steward's Corner article in April for Labor Notes. And as I wrap things up this morning, I, di- I did want to share some of the excellent training opportunities that Labor Notes has coming up. That includes their May Stewards Workshop uh, on Monday, May 22nd, which is going to be held via Zoom from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Central Time. And it is on Just Cause with the great labor attorney, Robert Schwartz. Uh, So this is really geared towards union stewards. But uh, if you are interested in Just Cause, I really recommend this one. Of course, Just Cause is the keystone of any union contract. Uh, protecting members from unwarranted and excessive discipline. But many of its most important secrets have been restricted to arbitrators and labor professionals. Join Labor Notes for a Stewards Workshop on Just Cause, where we'll talk about what it is, what it isn't, and how stewards can use it to vigorously enforce the rights of members. The cost is only $10, but no one will be turned away due to lack of funds. Uh, And they're also doing a little special right now where... If you register for the class, uh, you can also get 50% off a one-year subscription to Labor Notes magazine. So for $25, you can get the magazine and you can get the class. I really recommend that. Uh, I am a subscriber to Labor Notes. Get the magazine in the mail every month. It is always worth it. It's one of those that I always am excited to get in the mail. So I do recommend that. They have other workshops coming up. Uh, That includes, once again, offering What to Do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart. Uh, This one is going to be Tuesday, June 6th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Central Time. Again, this is an online Zoom workshop. Um, You know, I really, uh, I think this one is relevant for a lot of folks. If you've ever had a bad experience or if you're an organizer and you want to know how to have conversations with people who have had bad experiences with the unions in the past, this is a good class to take. And, of course, they also wrapped up their Secrets of a, of a Successful Organizer uh, workshop series on May 17th, last night. So check out labornotes.org. Stay plugged into to their work. They're publishing important work. And they're also holding these really important trainings uh, that is beneficial for all of us in the labor movement. And a couple other reminders. I was on America's Workforce Radio last week. Check that out when you get a chance. I got a chance to talk about HB 209, that uh, really ridiculous voting bill uh, that is being pushed through the Alabama legislature. also talked about my school visits with the North Alabama Labor Council, as well as IATSE's solidarity with the writers during the WGA strike. Well, that's it, folks, for the 11th episode of Shop Talk. Hope it was worth your time, and I really appreciate everyone listening. Uh, And again, I do apologize for the technical difficulties for the first 5, 10 minutes or so. We had a lot of little uh, hiccups that were happening. Uh, Hopefully we can get that resolved for the podcast edition. If you enjoyed it, please share with your network and make sure you're plugged into our work. Stay tuned to the Valley Labor Report on Saturday mornings starting at 9.30 a.m. Central, live on WVNN, YouTube, and Facebook. Please sign up for our email list at tvlr.fm. And don't forget to like, review, share, and subscribe. And finally, if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.